0: I had just started dating my wife, and New Year's Eve was coming, and I wanted to do something to impress her. I mean, a new girlfriend, I really liked this one, and I wanted to pull out all the stops. Well, a New Year's Eve party seemed like a good idea, but what kind of party would impress this girl? And so I talked to a friend, and he said he could get me access to a VIP celebrity party in Aspen. Sign me up. I mean, he made sure we had to, A, dress the part, and B, show up and act the part like we belong there. And so I brought my new girlfriend, now my wife, to this this party, and immediately it was just completely different. I mean, there was a red carpet, and there was one of those backdrops with the sponsors, and you walk by, and they were saying, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? And thankfully, they didn't really know who we are, and no one asked me what I was wearing because I didn't know. I mean, the most I knew what I was wearing was like, I think I got my socks from Hanes. Yeah, what are you wearing? Hanes, eight pack, Costco. I mean, it wouldn't have gone over too well, but we got in the party, and immediately it was incredible to see what it looks like on these. I mean, celebrity big parties. There was the food um, was out of this world. All the drinks, there was no. It was all top shelf. And then we're out there dancing. I don't know if you know this about my pastor's wife. But she loves to dance. And so we're out there just dancing the night away. And suddenly next to us, I look over and there's this, this tall gentleman. And I recognize him from his videos. It's Seal. And, and of course, the tall lady with him is Heidi Klum. And and Paris Hilton was there. And, and all these other celebrities were there. It was this thing, this strangest night ever. We had a blast. And we had just a, a, um, one night of, of kind of having this inside glimpse at these... These, these celebrity parties. And, and I would have to say, I was most impressed, not by the people, but by the food. It was incredible. Now, having full access to a party like that was, was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime moment. I'm good from now. But I always wondered, like, what if he couldn't get me access? What if I couldn't have gotten in? Like, would I have still gone to the outside and said, hey, hey hey buddy, come here. Hey, can you, can you just bring us a taste? Bring us a taste of the life inside of there. Bring us a, one of those lobster rolls and one of those crab things. And, and bring us, a, you know, one of those martinis from the top shelf. And, and maybe crack the door so we can hear the music. And, and if he was a good friend, you know, he would have gone in there and, and got me one in a napkin and spilled some drink and, and brought out some tastes of the good life, you know? Like I would have had a little, a little bite of the lobster and I could hear a little bit of the music. And, and that's the most I would have experienced about that party if I didn't have full access. You see, there's a big difference between getting full access and just getting little tastes of something through a a mediator, a facilitator. And for those who claim to follow Jesus, I mean, we have to admit, sometimes it seems like we're just getting little tastes of God's kingdom, little, little, little tastes of God's presence, not, not full access. I mean, maybe it's a, a worship heart that just thrills my heart one moment, or, or a sermon that week really inspired me, or the awe and gratitude I feel at the summit of a mountain and, and, and worshiping God there, or, or my Bible reading was especially moving, just, just small little tidbits brought to me uh, of the good life. But I want you to know today that God didn't intend for you to get small bites here and there uh, uh, through a mediator of His presence. Because, the work of, Je- because of the work of Jesus, I mean, I mean, He's our divine mediator. Because of Him, we have been invited behind the velvet rope. We have, we have access to the, behind the VIP curtain. We get to walk that red carpet and experience the full spiritual life. Jesus said in John ten ten. I came so that you could have life, and like life to the full. You get to experience the whole thing. Uh, Ephesians 3, that we're going to look at today, talks about access. And if you're just joining us, we are working our way through this ancient book that was written by the Apostle Paul while in prison. It's incredible that a person in jail would talk about having full access to the good life. But we're going to see by the end a bit clearer that, that God doesn't just want you to stand on the outside, getting little tastes of his goodness, getting crumbs from his heart and his kingdom. You've got the full invitation. Your name is on the list, and you are celebrated and have full access to the good life. So with that, let's dive in. Ephesians 3. We're going to do this verse by verse to kind of dissect what Paul's saying here. You can follow along in your Bible app or in your Bible or with the words that we'll have up. So here it says, verse 1: For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul's life has undergone such a radical transformation that he's gone from putting Christians in jail to now being in jail for the sake of Christians. This is, this is the effects of salvation, but not just salvation, beyond salvation, saying yes to Jesus and growing in your maturity and being transformed. I mean, you'll find yourself changing and transforming and moving closer to God's heart the more you say yes to him. And you'll begin to see that the things that break God's heart, they're going to break your heart. And the things that, that bring God's heart joy, they're going to bring your heart joy. You're going to begin to see that the, the people that God wants to speak to, you'll be moved to speak to them. And the people that, that God wants to reach out and help, you will be that help. Paul is moved, and here he is, he's talking about the Gentiles, those people who are non-Jews, who were out of the kingdom for so long. Verse 2, he says, You have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's saying, God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to the Gentiles, to you. Paul echoes what I just mentioned by saying that that God gave him grace so that he could pass it on to others. You know, God gives us gifts. He's given you gifts. But the gifts that He gives you, He doesn't just say, yeah, just keep those for yourself keep them to yourself, they're for just your own benefit. God gives us gifts that, that, that we use to benefit, bless, and bring others closer to God. What gifts has God given you? I mean, think about it. I mean, I mean your personality is a gift. Despite we think about your spouse, their personality is a gift from God, too. I mean, how God knit you together, your passions the skills you have, but beyond that, the spiritual gifts the Bible talks about, the miracles and healing and prophecy and the prayer language, evangelism, wisdom. God gives his people gifts, not so they can hoard it and hold on to it. It says here, God administers gifts to your life so that you can pass them on. Paul was given grace so that he could pass grace on. And perhaps you have have some friends or family who need the grace of God's salvation in their life. And maybe you need to know today that God gave you the grace to pass on to them. The same way Paul says here. Verse 3, Paul says, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. Paul says that God reveals a mystery to him. And, and this mystery, these secrets of, of heaven, it's a real big theme in Paul's writings. You see this over and over, and even over and over here in Ephesians. Matthew 13, 11, Jesus says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Like these secrets, these mysteries have been revealed. God holds mysteries. God holds secrets. And these are revealed to us when the time is right so that we can move forward in a new way. When a new mystery is revealed... A new mission is received. And Paul has received insight into a divine mystery that has led to a whole new mission for him. See, God reveals these mysteries out of his pleasure for us. We've already read in Ephesians 1, it says, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Like he loves to show us these revelations from heaven. And I believe that God wants to reveal mysteries to you so that your next mission in life can adjust to it and and be fruitful and have purpose. The divine secrets of heaven are yours for the searching in God's word. Not hidden from you, hidden for you. Verse 4, Paul says, As you read this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. Like generations of people in the Bible didn't have access to this mystery. But he's saying, as you read in this text, you're going to find out what the mystery is. Paul says, keep reading. It's going to be revealed. And here it is in the next verse, verse 6. And this is the mystery that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, that's the gospel of Jesus, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally, equally in the inheritance of God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise and blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. I spoke a lot about this last week. Go listen to that one for more insight. But, But what it's saying here is both the people of the Old Testament covenant and the people who had previously been left out of that covenant. Now, both have access to God's family and not only both have access, but both are equal. They have equal position in God's heart because of Jesus' work. That's all people. The mystery Paul is talking about is that the family just got a whole lot bigger. The good news of Jesus just added a lot more seats at the table. No one is disqualified based on natural conditions, and all are invited based on supernatural calling. Look at the language he uses here. He says you're co-heirs. I mean, you you receive the same from the Father. He says you're members of one body, body being the church. We are members of the same church, regardless of where we're from. In Jesus, we're all one. Now, history lesson. Previously, the Jewish temple designated in the Old Testament, it had a wall. I had lots of walls in the Old Testament temple. A partition that kept people out and certain people in. And if you weren't a Hebrew, you couldn't go into these inner areas of the temple, grounds. You couldn't participate in the worship. You couldn't participate in in the rituals at all. In fact, if a Gentile went on the other side of some of these walls, it was punished by death. Paul mentions this wall in our text from last week, Ephesians 2.4. He says, Jesus himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility is gone. Now, now we read that and we go, that's good symbolism. That was good, Paul. The, the wall has been taken down. But to someone in their culture, when they hear that, they don't think of symbolism. They think of a specific wall, a specific dividing barrier that did cause division and hostility. It says we're sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus. That Remember Ephesians 1, all the promises that were in Christ, all the benefits, will now we all share in them. Those who believe in Jesus, we all share in those. All people have access to the promises of Jesus. Verse 7, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Paul becomes a minister of Jesus' good news by the gift of God's grace. But it says here, it didn't come weakened or ineffective. Paul says that this calling, it came through the working of great power. The word Paul uses here for power is dunamis, as in dynamic. And this word is used in other places regarding the message of Jesus that show that this gospel, this message that Jesus has given us, It it comes loaded with power. Romans 1.16, he says this, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There's that mystery again, to everyone who believes. But this gospel has power Paul was called through power to a mission that moves forward in power. And if you've chosen to believe in Jesus for your salvation, you've been given the gift of grace through God's power. And you're called to move ahead in power. You're called to be a minister, to preach, to evangelize to others, not with a weak or ineffective message, not with something outdated, but no, with power of the gospel, of the good news. See, when you leave here and you go and you speak to somebody else about God's gift of salvation, well, you do that with the dunamis of heaven, the dynamic power of heaven. You see, we think that Paul had some super access to all this, but what Paul is revealing is that in Jesus, we all have access to the dunamis. Paul depended and expended this power daily. When was the last time that you spoke to someone about Jesus? Really? When was the last time you were going to speak to somebody about Jesus and you said that silent prayer, Oh God, I pray you show up. Oh Lord, may your power be with me. That's what Paul's talking about. You see, we have so much power we were resourced by heaven with, but when do we ever exercise it? When do we stand on it and depend on it? When was the last time you had that Nervous, nauseous feeling because you were going to, to share God's gift and you needed the dunamis of heaven. It's, it's amazing that, that we have all this at our disposal and we never really exercise it. And, and then we wonder, like, where's the power of God's gospel when we're not exercising it daily the way Paul was? Verse 8, he said, Paul says this, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. You know, Jesus repeatedly said that we're to go and minister to the least of these. And Paul raises his hand here and says, that's me. He says the same phrase. I am the least of these. That's who I am. We may, we may think Paul's some super Christian, but Paul sees himself as someone who has a desperate need for God to show up for him daily. An expectation for God to, to, to work in and through him. This grace was given to me, verse 8, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless Riches of Christ. Christ, Boundless, this, this word means unfathomable. Like the riches of Christ, the benefits that come with Jesus, we can't even fully fathom or comprehend them. I would wholeheartedly admit this. I mean, I walk around with the dunamis of heaven resourcing me, but I don't exercise and stand on that as often as I, uh, I could or should. Or often even go further than that. Perhaps we walk through our entire day, and the thought of God's grace, God's salvation, God's power at work in us and through us, never even occurs to us. All of this divine power given to us in Jesus, and, and we're not even aware of it through our day. Paul goes on in verse 9, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan of God, The creator of all things. He kept it secret from the beginning. He's saying, I was the least of these, and yet out of grace I was chosen to preach a message of God that down through the ages was hidden until right now. It's a new gospel, a new message, a new mystery being unveiled. And this says, don't follow the law, follow the Lord. Don't think that your good works lead to salvation the good work has already been done by Jesus. And so now, because you're saved through Jesus' work, well then go and do good works out of love. It's a new message, it's a new path. It's a simple invitation to Jesus Christ for salvation through grace. And this new path, this mystery, this power of good news, No one's disqualified from it based on race or gender or any other human category we would put on somebody. Remember, the old wall of division is gone. Verse 10, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in a rich variety so that the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places would learn about it. This blows me away. I studied on this all week. This is just so wild. The mystery that God has revealed through Jesus to Paul, it wasn't just kept a mystery from humanity. It wasn't just kept a mystery from from people. Paul here tells us that through the church people, through the church, God's wisdom is being revealed to heavenly beings, angels and demons. Peter also discusses this new, new gospel. He says this about the good news of Jesus in 1 Peter 1.12. He says, even angels long to look into these things. The language that Peter uses here states that the angels, like they, they stoop down. They pause and they stoop down and look into. They they gather around and closely inspect. It's the same word used to describe when Peter and John showed up to inspect that empty tomb that morning. Logging to see what was going on inside. Angels wonder. They, they, They lean forward on tiptoes and lean in to see what God is revealing. And he's revealing it through his church. It's amazing. I mean, so often we as humans, we just long to see behind the veil into the spiritual world, into the world of angels. But here in Ephesians, we see that the angels, it's them who marvel at God's work and the mystery He's unveiling with us, His people. Again, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul, speaking of salvation through grace of Jesus, that's being revealed to humanity. That is a wonder. It's a marvel to angelic beings. And why? Well, a few reasons. Angels can't be saved. Jesus didn't give his life and resurrect to offer salvation to angels. We are the only beings on the planet that can experience the mystery of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being a spiritual being, being an angel? And you watch these humans every day and you see how they fail so often, and you see how, how short and frail their lives are, and you, you, how often they act in private differently than they proclaim in public, and you see them at their worst. You see them in tears and pain. You see them at their best in joy. You see the things they can accomplish, and you can see the places where they just falter. And yet, you see God in all His divinity, because you can see Him clearly. You see Him unveil a plan that would offer these frail and broken people grace and power, grace that offers them salvation and forgiveness, not just forgiveness one time, uh, time after time, Not, not a mystery that gives them a second chance, but you watch in amazement as you see God give them eternal forgiveness, even though they choose sin daily. Angels marvel at the sheer audacity of God's love. They wonder at the absurdity of His grace. They're gaping at the ends that God will go to, even sending His own Son to be tortured and killed so that these beings could, could find salvation in Him. Bottom line, God loves you at such a level that angels are astounded. Paul tells us that God's wisdom is being revealed as a result of what's happening in and through the church. And what's so wild about this to me is that that angels are learning about God's plan, not directly from God. They're watching God's plan unfold in his people, in his church. God's intention is that the church be the place where his wisdom is put on display. If angels are impressed by the way the church operates, how much more should people be wat- that are watching us see God's wisdom at work? Which leads me to some difficult questions. In our nation, do people learn about the wisdom of God by watching His church? Let's make it local. In our area, are people seeing God's wisdom on display because of the orchard? Now, let's make it personal. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the Bible is clear that you are the church. Is the wisdom of God on display through you so that others would see it? Are people around you learning more about God and the way that he operates by the way that you speak and behave and love? It's a big question. In Paul's comments about heavenly entities learning about God's wisdom through the church, I just was wondering, like, what are they learning about uh, through us, the orchard? I I mean, I'm just taking a look at what's happened during COVID. I mean, we have sought God. We continue to seek God. As a church, we want our region, we want the heavenly regions to know God's wisdom by the way we've chosen to operate and continue to operate. I sure hope that's true of us. What a wild and amazing revelation Paul gives us. This is, but it's nothing actually compared to what's coming in the last two verses of today's sermon. Check this out. God is making his wisdom known through the church. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus. Here we see that the plan of redemption that God revealed in Jesus wasn't something that he just like played by ear or, or tried to wing it. As it was happening. It says he had an eternal purpose. And eternity doesn't just go forward. Eternity also moves backwards. So God's plan to redeem humanity through the work of Jesus, it was established an eternity ago, before the creation of the world. God, an eternity past, had a plan that Jesus would come and provide the good news of salvation. And in that plan, He saw you. He saw you. You are a part of this eternal mystery that's being revealed and unveiled by God. You were on God's mind in his salvation blueprint before the creation of the world. And if you are here today, if you're with me today, and perhaps you've never prayed or you've never chosen Jesus as your savior. You've never chose to receive Jesus' salvation. I want you to know in the destiny that God wrote for you, today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day he planned an eternity ago for you to finally take the step into Jesus' salvation. In other words, if, if you haven't prayed or received salvation in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do so, to pray together. So with God's eternal plan in mind, if you're with me right now and you would like to take this step and pray for Jesus to come and save you, to enter into his salvation, to be a part of the mystery of this good news, I want you to pray with me today that this salvation it was made possible because Jesus died and rose again. It's the salvation that says you're forgiven and you're included in all this teaching about being a part of the family. And so if you want to step into this reality today, I want you to pray out loud or under your breath with me right now. Pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again. I receive you as my Savior. Forgive my sins. Holy Spirit, fill me now. God, you knew this would happen. Thank you for your glorious plan. Lead me from this day forth. My life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that with me today, I want you to email me. I want to hear from you. I want to talk with you. I want to answer any questions. I want to welcome you into this new way of living. So, so email me at daniel@theorchardlife.com. At now, for those of you who just prayed that, Maybe for the first time, you get access to the next verse for the very first moment in your life. And maybe perhaps you're watching today and you prayed that, you prayed that prayer a long time ago. You have access, if you're a follower of Jesus, to the end verse of today's teaching. And this is, this is incredible. Verse 12, Ephesians 3 verse 12. Through faith in Jesus, we may now come into God's presence with freedom and with confidence. Through faith in Jesus, we may now come into God's presence with freedom and confidence. Freedom, the word used here means to boldly approach, like free of fear. And fear is something that we deal with spiritually. We we fear how God sees us. We fear His condemnation because He knows what we do. We, We have fear because of our bad decisions, our behavior, because of our sin. This leads to guilt and leads to shame. And shame is what keeps us from approaching God's presence. Shame is the thing that keeps your head down and keeps you distant from God. But the glorious mystery that we're discovering right here in this good news, embedded in this, is the inoculation to shame. The good news of Jesus is that shame has been cast down and defeated. In Genesis, 1, in Genesis, way back then, Adam and Eve chose sin, and in their shame, God covered them. But now, because of Jesus' sin, He doesn't just cover us, He's defeated it. If you're here today and you're ashamed of your actions in front of God, if you're ashamed, too ashamed to consider even going into His presence, if you go to church or, or you listen to this and you have to fight through that, oh, if they only knew what you did, that might be for other people, but not for you. This is for you. It goes on, listen, Hebrews 4.16, it says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's God's throne. Hebrews 10.19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The holy place where God's presence resides. Over and over it says that people who believe in Jesus should have confidence to, to get into God's presence, to go into his throne room. And I want you to imagine... A throne room. What would the throne room of heaven look like? I mean, I'm, I imagine these huge doors at the back, right? And so they're closed to me. And I, I just imagine yourself standing outside those huge doors. On the other side is the throne where the king does business. I mean, if a king is on the throne, well, he's busy ruling, and he's got a universe to deal with. He's got pandemics and disasters, and he's got politicians to deal with. He's working on his his will. He's working his will through history. He's moving things to a grand conclusion. He's dealing with prayers and petitions and the pains of all the people. Surely a king on the throne is incredibly busy ruling. And we assume that that breaking into a throne room would be an unwelcome distraction. You break in there where God's doing God stuff and it's like, "Oh, I'm busy. And besides, I know what you've done." If that shame enters. It would be a bother. It would look something like this. I love this video. In this video, I had to laugh. This gentleman in his home office, uh, he, he's, he, he's working from home. His, his work thrown at the house. He's live on the news. He's doing the business. When suddenly, his kids enter. Watch this. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting... Shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the north may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The um, pardon me, That's right, pardon me. my apologies. <laughs> what is this going to be for the region? My apologies, north. Uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severe. <laughs> I love that video, but but here that's how we think it's going to go. But here's the truth: I mean, you have God, the King of Heaven, on His throne. Even with all that must be attended to by the King, all the things He must deal with, you can throw those throne room doors open, and inside the throne room, it's filled with with heavenly beings who respectfully are listening and carrying out the will of the king. Imagine what universally large commands that they, they hear and, they, and they, they come from this throne. And the angels are there, formally respectful. But you bust into that throne room, and the angels have to part ways down the middle so that your little running legs can carry you to the throne. And, and when you get there, th- there's no look of, of disdain because because you've been interrupted. There's no look that says, you shouldn't be here. You see, when you get there, you're not interrupting. You are picked up and you have the attention of the God of the entire universe. His face is beaming as he looks at you with a face of love, with a face of pleasure, because you are his beloved daughter. You're his beloved son. And you can run into his throne room and jump on his lap and spend time there. Your father in heaven always, always has time for you. And because you're his daughter, because you're his son, well, you can confidently walk in no matter what's happening. Now, I have to admit, this must be foreign and a bit scandalous to you, to imagine Strange, but the Bible is more than clear that God is not too busy for his daughter, for his son. And God declares that you can enter his throne room, throw open the doors, scamper up to his side, and he's going to pick you up. It's no wonder the angels marvel at God's mysterious plan. It's no wonder they marvel at this, this salvation by grace. Because despite all our sin, despite all our turning to other loves and and all our shortcomings and all of our wrongs, we can run into the throne of heaven with freedom, freedom from shame, and with confidence in his love. We can run in there because we know our heavenly daddy runs the place. Angels may need to stand there formally and approach with a request, but not as kids. Anytime... Any moment, any second, no matter what he's doing, you are one prayer away from his throne room. And and this is our takeaway today, to remember that you have full access to God's presence. And in God's presence is everything you need for, for life to have joy and peace, love and purpose for the future, And so your assignment this week is going to be a bit different. I want you to reread Ephesians 3.12 and Hebrews 4.16, and then I want you to go to a private place. Just go to a place and take a pause. Calm yourself. Focus. Ask God's Spirit to be present and guide your heart and mind. And then I want you to imagine yourself, truly imagine this, outside of those huge doors. And on the other side is the throne room of heaven. And I want you to imagine yourself pushing those doors open into a busy throne room of heaven, full of the formality of angels and the busyness and the business of heaven, the universe. But you, you run through them all. They all part ways for you, a child of the king. And you get to that throne, and your heavenly daddy is there with the face beaming full of love. I want you to meditate on this truth. I want you to spend some time in God's lap this week, in that moment. I want you to, to, to stay there and, and talk to him. Ask God how he sees you. Ask him for forgiveness for anything that you feel is in the way. Ask him what you should pour your life into in the coming time. What, God, what would you have for me moving forward? I want you to get that picture and that look and that feel that throne room of, of that of God's lap what it means to have confidence in his presence I want that to be firmly rooted down in your heart because the Bible is clear the mystery of heaven is that you and I have full access to God because of our faith in Jesus and the work he did at the cross and your heavenly father now, he loves you so much angels wonder at the audacity of it all that's how important you are to God. That's how important it is that we reframe this mystery and see God's grace, this invitation for what it is, this glorious invitation of love that says you can live with freedom and confidence because your heavenly father has done all the work and you're always welcome in his presence. Orchard, I love you. If you're just joining with us, if you want to find out more about our ministries or or give to our ministries, we want to thank you for those who are funding us, fueling our vision. Find out more about us at www.theorchardlife.com. As always, church, I love you and I'm praying for you. Love God, love people. I'll see you next week.